We're in the book of Acts, continuing our series through Acts. You can turn to chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 42. In this section, prospering and persecution. Welcome to our guests this morning. I, I, I think there's some guests here uh, who are from our VBS as well and, and our outreach, and we're so glad you're here. We are a church that is formed and shaped and led by the Word of God. He's given us His, His Word. He's given us His Word that there, we might experience life, be His people, and walk in His ways. And so we're grateful. We're grateful for His Word, and we love to learn from it. And we trust God to use the foolishness of preaching His Word to accomplish great things. So... So as we continue to look at Acts and to continue to seek to learn from the Lord, let's, let's ask Him to speak to us through His Word, that we may hear from Him and He might be exalted in and through our lives. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that You love to speak to us. We ask You, God, to do just that as we look at Your Word today. Lord, would You... Would you Grant us grace to hear from you. Lord, we recognize that, that there's no benefit that we could have apart from your grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you for the blood of Christ that covers us. We're forgiven and welcome into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you give gifts and, and you just love to speak to us. So do that, we pray. We need to hear from you, O oh God. And we need to hear about the things that are in this section of Scripture. There's much you have for us, have for us today, Lord. So we pray that you would speak, and that we would hear, and you would be lifted up, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in verse 17. Before I do that, to give you a little context, we're following the storyline of the early church, and as God has done wondrous things, poured out the promise of the Holy Spirit, Christ is being proclaimed, the Father is sovereignly ordering and caring for His church, and there's much success. There are people coming to the Lord, and a new community is formed and prospering. But while this is going on, there's also different challenges they're facing, challenges from without and challenges from within. Last week we looked at a challenge from within, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira versus Barnabas. And, and then before that we saw some light persecution happen. At this point in time in this story, things start to get a little worse in terms of challenges, in terms of persecution, yet God continues to work. So let's jump into the story here in verse 17 and read to the end of chapter 5. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and brought them out, and said, Go, and stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, and those who were with him, they called together the council, and all the senate of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. 
Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts chapter 5, 17 to 42. This story continues to get more and more exciting as we see the church prosper and deal with these challenges. Here we see the corner being turned in terms of the intensity of the challenge. They're facing a real persecution. The first time where the persecution is so significant, they're actually physically persecuted, they're beaten. Most likely the 39 lashes that was customary uh, in Israel. So it was a severe beating. And this section really is a wonderful blessing for us to read and to learn from. It is a picture, and we've kind of used that idea of a picture. We see a picture of the early church in Acts. And there are aspects of that picture that are unique. The apostles are certainly unique, and this early church experience is unique and initiatory. But, but there are aspects of the picture, too, that as we admire the picture, we don't just admire and say, isn't that wonderful, but we learn from the picture. 
And in a sense, this section of Scripture is a template for us as we face some of the similar things, as we face persecution. Now, when a message is given on persecution, often we go, and rightly so, to our brothers and sisters around the world who are actively and aggressively persecuted. In communist countries, certain Muslim countries, right now to be a believer means your life is likely to be threatened. And and to be a believer means that you're likely to be physically hurt at some point. And, And it is right and appropriate for us to think that way. And we'll touch on some of that a little bit today. But, but it would be incomplete for us to think persecution is only something that goes on overseas. Persecution is actually a reality for every believer. It is a reality for every believer. It is an inevitability for every believer. For we live in a world that is fundamentally, uh, by nature, opposed to God. And if we follow God by grace in Christ, if we're a follower of God, we have set ourselves up against the world automatically. And so we will encounter resistance from the world. We will encounter persecution. Now, in our country right now, that doesn't mean usually being physically punished, though it might someday. But it does mean being threatened in some way. It does mean being opposed in some way. So there are lessons from Acts chapter 5 for us as well here in America in 2010. This section of Scripture teaches us about how to deal with persecution. It teaches us about the reality of persecution. Persecution happens. It teaches us about how to deal with it, how to orient ourselves around and towards persecution, and how to even prosper through persecution. So let's take a look. Let's dig into chapter 5 and learn from this section of Scripture. Learn from the Lord how to deal with persecution. First point, I think, in your notes. Hopefully you have notes before you. I encourage you to take notes as far as it is helpful. We also have uh, CDs that we record, so if you want to listen to this later, take notes then or whatever. Whatever best serves you to hear from God. First point is to expect persecution. Persecution happens. Whether it's the 40 lashes minus one that the apostles received, or just the co-worker making fun of your faith, or making fun of you because you're a believer. All the things in between those sort of things are persecution. Persecution happens. This is the storyline of the Bible. If we read through the whole Bible, we see this, this theme of persecution. We see this theme of the people of God being called out of the world, this fallen sinful world that has fallen away from God and therefore is separated from God and, and sadly and, 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 and nonsensically oriented in rebellion against God. When you are called out of the world, you are automatically diametrically opposed to the world. Now, when I say world, I don't mean every aspect of the world creation. I mean the part of the world, the part of creation, particularly mankind, that is systematically living without God at the center. And so when you are called to God, when the people of God are called to Him, they are automatically and immediately opposed to the world, and the world's opposed to them. So we see this storyline in the Bible. It starts with Cain and Abel early on. It continues through other stories, just through the entire Bible. There's Cain and Abel. We see David and Saul. Saul has 
really rejected God and his ways, and he's a, he's a persecuting David. We see Jeremiah and rebellious Jerusalem. We see Jesus and the Pharisees, Paul and the Jews and Gentiles that opposed him. We see in the book of Revelation the martyrs and the great Babylon. There's this theme throughout from beginning to end of persecution. To be a child of God is to be opposed by the world in some way. It's unavoidable. It's unpleasant, but it's unavoidable. It's a reality. It's in the storyline. It's in the New Testament. We are given many verses to teach us about this, to expect it, to, to recognize it. This passage being one of them. Others as well. John 15, I think we have some of these verses to put up. John 15, Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 1 Thessalonians, Paul teaches the people, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Peter instructs the church, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So it was no surprise to the apostles and to the early church that they would face persecution, even severe persecution. These are the very men who even put Christ to death. So it's no surprise. And we see in the storyline what happened. They were jealous. The the Sadducees in particular, the high priests who who denied the resurrection and loved to be in a place of power, they were full of jealousy. They rose up and they arrested the apostles. Perhaps, probably all 12 of them are arrested and thrown in jail. And We know the story that an angel comes and releases them. It's wonderful. And they go back out in obedience to the angel really to God, and, and, and testify to Christ in the temple. That's some serious boldness to get out of jail and go back and do what you got put in jail for in the first place. They go out and do that, and then they're arrested again, brought in. And, and then as they speak, as Peter and the apostles speak, and speak of obedience and speak of Christ and uh, in, in his death and resurrection, they are uh, so enraged that they want to kill the apostles And if it hadn't been for Gamaliel intervening, that probably would have happened. They they are opposed to Christ. They are opposed to God. Persecution happens. Things like this happen to God's people and to the early church. As they boldly proclaimed it, they experienced persecution. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you will experience the worst persecution your whole life at all times. This teaching on persecution doesn't mean to, to think that all of life is this way. God apportions these things wisely. We can trust Him. But we should not be surprised when we face persecution. It is inevitable. It is part of the nature of belonging to God and being separate from the world. And until Christ comes back, that's how it's going to be. When He comes back, He will fully redeem all things. He will, he will recreate heavens and the earth. There will be no more sin no more persecution, no, no more opposition to the ways of God in every way. It'll be wonderful. 
It'll be glorious. But until then, to live here now means to deal with persecution. And we must accept this. We must recognize it. We must recognize that persecution is just a, 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 a loud statement of the world's opposition to the ways of God. It's, just a, it's a statement of it, the world's opposition to the ways of God. But even more than that, persecution is an opportunity to make a loud statement about the superiority of the ways of God over the ways of the world. Because what happens in persecution is the world uses leverage to try to get the people of God to no longer value God more than the world. It's, a, it's leverage used to say, you must value our system more than your system. So we're going to bring pressure on you. We're going to even threaten your life perhaps. Or we're just going to disapprove of you in some subtle way to give pressure, to put pressure on you to reject the ways of God and embrace the ways of the world. And so it's a wonderful opportunity by grace as we depend on God to make a statement to the world that this way is so much better than that way that I'm willing to risk my life and lay down all things that I perhaps enjoy for its sake. It is a loud statement of the worth and glory of Christ and belonging to Him. So it makes all these statements. It is not random. It is not purposeless. It is full of meaning. And also, as we experience persecution, it deepens our fellowship with Christ. Christ came as the ultimate representative of the people of God, the ultimate one who loved God and walked with God and obeyed God. And to do that and to live that way, he knew, meant that he was going to be persecuted. It meant that he was going to be opposed. It meant that he was going to suffer. And his suffering was not without purpose. His suffering made loud statements that are going to ring and resonate throughout eternity about the worth of the Father and His ways, the worth of the kingdom of God, the superiority of God and His plan, the gospel over the ways of the world. And when we experience persecution, when we are maltreated by others because of the name of Christ, we have a fellowship with Christ. We deepen in our relationship with Him. Our recognition of of the life we have in Him, our need for Him, and our nearness to Him is increased. We draw closer to Him, grow in our dependence on Him are more aware of His power and become a vessel for His glory. So Paul says in Philippians 3, 10-11, as he talks about his life in Christ, he says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And we love that part of the verse. I love the power of His resurrection. Give me more power, Lord. Yeah, we're going to do things. And then we forget this part. And may share His sufferings. Do you want to get to know Christ? Embrace the power of the resurrection and share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to live in the life that God had called him to. He wanted to find his all in all in Christ. He wanted to enjoy Christ and experience and know and live in the superiority of Christ over all things. To find that everything else just didn't matter compared with that eternal glory that he has in Christ. So he said, Lord, give me power and I want to share with 
the sufferings that you give, that I might be like you, that I might find true worth in you, and the world be put in its proper place. It was ordained for Paul to suffer much. Most of us, probably all of us, will not come near what he went through. But the pattern is the same. And part of God's plan is to use persecution that we might become like Christ and find our comfort in Him. So, is that your heart's desire? Is that my heart's desire? Do we want to know Him more even in His sufferings? Do we embrace God's purposes in persecution and think Think of that coworker who makes fun of your faith. Or just think of those group of friends that you haven't told about Christ because you're thinking, as soon as I identify myself as a Christian, it's going to change everything. I might lose those friendships. I might lose those family members. Now, I'm not advocating obnoxious Bible thumping, by the way. Just that qualifier needs to be there. If you turn someone off by obnoxious Bible thumping, that's not persecution, that's stupidity. I'm talking about being a faithful, gentle, Christ-like witness to him in word and deed and then having yourself rejected for Christ's sake. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. And we're going to put ourselves in there and sometimes people reject us just because of us. But in particular, I mean when we seek to represent Christ to others. So think that way. Are, are you embracing God's purposes in persecution in those relationships or are you running from persecution scared? that your sense of comfort and stability in life will be somehow upset. Nothing wrong with comfort and stability, but is Christ better and bigger than persecution, comfort, stability? We must, as believers, expect persecution. Persecution happens. We are to trust God in persecution. Next point. Watch the, in the storyline what happens. They go to jail. They're put in jail for preaching Christ, and God sends an angel in the night to deliver them and somehow the angel comes and gets them out of prison the guards don't even know what happened i don't i mean that would have been wonderful to have been there just i don't know what would happen to the guards were they just kind of like in some sort of zone where they're catatonic you know and they go out we don't know it was must have been really cool they go out of the jail and and the angel says go back and keep on preaching christ we see god's deliverance there yeah okay we'll do that and they do they're faithful they go back and proclaim Christ. They get uh, the, the Lord takes care of them. They entrust themselves to God. They recognize, I believe, through this, that God is more than able to take care of them. And His deliverance at first is with that angel. Sends them back out. Sometimes God does things that way. Sometimes He delivers us. We are to entrust ourselves to Him. That's, that's probably the root of this. One of the root things of dealing with persecution, is can we entrust ourselves to God? Can we say, God, you are bigger than this thing. I'm going to trust you. And they do, and God delivers them with an angel. I I have a friend of mine, a a man I know, um, and he was in China. And he was in China uh, strengthening leaders some years ago, very early in the 60s actually, early on. And he met with a believer, and and this particular believer wanted to give something. This is just quite amazing. He's in a persecuted country struggling. He wants to give something to mission work outside of China. And and he didn't have money, really. He had this heirloom, his family heirloom. He wanted to give it to my friend to sell and to give the money away for missions. And it was just part of his heart, wonderful heart. 
but the problem was to take an heirloom out of the country was illegal. Uh, the communist government wouldn't allow it. Um, their view of property was different, I guess. And, and so he gave it to my friend to smuggle out of the country. He put it in his suitcase, and they went to the border. Uh, it was my friend and another friend. Uh, and they went to the border, and they separated in line because they thought if we go together and I get back, we both go down. So let's separate. And they're waiting in line, and a Chinese army official comes along and taps my friend on the shoulder. says, come with me. I think, come with me. Taps the other guy on the shoulder. Come with me. And they, they're, they're thinking, we're bagged. We're, they got us. They take them into, this official takes them into a warehouse, a dark warehouse. They walk down this long hallway following the official. Uh, and then they, all of a sudden, they, as, after a lot of walking, they noticed light. And then they looked, and there was no more official. The official was gone. And they followed the light out, and they found themselves across the border, safe. Things like that happen. God delivers that way at times. Um, Sometimes he sends angels. In this storyline, he sends the angel, he delivers them, and he puts them right back, calls them right back to preach, and then they get arrested again, of course. And so now there's another way for God to deal with, to deliver them. They are facing death at this point, and God uses, instead of an angel, he uses a man, Gamaliel. He uses a man. God can use whatever means he wants to deal with the situation. So it's an angel first, and then it's Gamaliel. Gamaliel is this influential person, and for some reason... God controls his heart, turns his heart, and he advocates for the apostles and says, guys, you know, he makes this whole speech. He backs it up, probably very eloquent, very respected man, um, and they, they buy it. And they say, okay, yeah, we're going to let him go and just kind of let it, let it happen and see what happens. They buy it. Now, they do whip them and charge them, but God uses, uses Gamaliel. God will take care of us in persecution. And even if it results in a beating, even if it results in the loss of things, our God is still there. And He can orchestrate an angel or a man, or He can allow the persecution to happen, but He's still God. He's still good. He's still bigger than your fears. He's still bigger than your comfort and all these other things. He's still greater Can you trust him for that? Because really that is the battle. We feel that something is threatened in persecution. And so what we often do, we feel threatened. Now, it's usually a, our reputation might be threatened. Our reputation at work or or with our neighbor. They're just going to think I'm a nut. I don't want to be a nut if I can avoid it. But my reputation perhaps is threatened. Or the sense of peace and harmony in relationship. A friendship. Those things are threatened in these sort of situations, in persecution. When we seek to proclaim Christ. And the temptation is to say, well, this is threatened, so I'm going to back off here. Instead of doing what the angel called the apostles to do and keep on preaching Christ, keep on proclaiming Him, keep on living the Christian life by my words and deeds, pointing to Christ, being who I am in Christ with my friends, I'm going to back off. I'm going to tone it down because I don't want to lose that thing. Can you trust God for that? God has all sorts of ways to deal with that. He might send an angel. He might send a man. He may work circumstances. It's not for you to figure that out. It's not for me to figure that out. It's for us to trust Him and let Him work. We are to trust God in persecution like the apostles did. Next point, we are to rejoice in persecution. 
when we really get this, when we really get that we can trust God, that He's bigger than persecution, when we really get that, that Christ and walking with Him and being used by Him is better than anything the world might throw at me, when we get that, we will start to experience what the apostles did. We will start to experience joy in being persecuted. It is amazing to look at them. They, get, they come from the beating. They come, they're just beaten. They come out. And, and if, you, if, you, if you didn't know anything about Christianity, right, and you read this passage, you, you just read this passage, and you saw these guys were beaten for being Christians or for, for doing something, and, and, then, and then, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, you would think this, these guys got a serious syndrome going on here to be rejoicing for suffering. There's something really wrong here. But it isn't. There's something really right here. They got it. They got it. And they knew the, the worth of Christ. They were entrusting themselves to God. And they counted, they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. Their view was radically different. They saw suffering for Christ as a good thing, as an honorable thing, as a thing that affirmed that they belonged to Christ as a thing that was a privilege for them to participate in suffering with Christ, to bring honor to His name, to, to deepen their fellowship, to increase their reward in heaven. The, there were all these things that were motivating them. And, and when they got to suffer, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think they enjoyed getting beaten. I don't think it was like something, yeah, let's go back for another beating. It's so good. That wasn't the point. And, and in suffering, we don't go after suffering. But when God allows it, God brings it, and we, we recognize the truth, we, we receive it, and we rejoice in God because it is an honor. It's a high honor. It is a high honor. We have to get this. It's a high honor to be persecuted for Christ. So when we face these situations at work, with family and friends, let, let's not think in terms of fear. Let's not frame the experience in terms of fear. What am I going to lose? We're all going to be fearful too. Don't, don't ever think you're going to get over fear. It's not like you know, you, you grow enough in Christ and you're no longer afraid. No, you're human. And even without sin, you're still limited and weak. And you should be concerned for the care of your body. I mean, if you don't care, if you get beaten, there's something wrong there. You're going to be fearful. These guys were fearful. But it wasn't that... They weren't fearful. It was that something uh, didn't eliminate their fear. There was something overpowered their fear. There was something better and stronger and more worthy than their fears. It was Christ and the honor of suffering for Him and, and the proclamation of the Gospel and the purposes of God. All these things allowed them to overcome their fear. So for us, when we face persecution, let us look at the 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 promise, the reward, the blessing. It is an honor to be persecuted for Christ. It's an honor even to be rejected. It's, it breaks our hearts. It breaks my heart. I love the folks that I relate to who don't know Christ. I want them so much to know what I know. And I, I know I only know it because of God's grace. And it breaks my heart to get rejected. But I don't want fear. I don't want those other things to to be more important and significant than my fellowship with Christ. The honor that it is to represent Him and love in His name, even if it means that. 
John Calvin says of this passage, I think we have this to put up. You have it back there, good. The, The disagreement which is between God and the world causes this. That which is counted among men most reproachful excels in dignity and glory in the sight of God and His angels. We know that the kind of death which Christ suffered was of all other most shameful. And yet did He triumph most nobly upon the cross. Christ, who not only swallows up the shame of the world with His glory, but also turns reproaches, slanders, and mocks of this world into great honor. And when you are mocked for the name of Christ, because you have trusted in Christ and are proclaiming His death for sins, His resurrection for eternal life, it is an honor. And we are to rejoice in that. Final point. We are to proclaim Christ despite persecution. We are to continue to proclaim Christ despite persecution. After these guys suffer, after they're arrested, the angel commissions them, go back and proclaim Christ. And they go back and they do it. And then they're arrested again. They're beaten. They're threatened. And what do they do? How does the passage end? They rejoice, and then it says, And every day, every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Persecution did not stop them from obeying God. They said we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God. You can take our lives away. We must obey God. We must proclaim Him. We must speak of His glory. We must speak of what we've seen and heard. He is precious. He is wonderful. And the preaching of His Word is the means by which He redeems lives. There's so much riding on our proclamation of Christ. And we're not all called to be apostles. We're not all called to be pastors and so forth. But we're all called to be witnesses of Him. We're all called on mission. He Himself is a God who has sent His Son on mission. And to be in His Son is to be on mission, which means we must proclaim Christ. And yes, we vary in our abilities and our giftings and so forth, but we all are to proclaim Christ and not to cease to proclaim Christ. There's so much riding on our proclamation of Christ that we must not let anything silence us. The glory of God is at stake. Because when we proclaim Christ, we speak of His glory. It is a backwards way for the world. His glory is in the shame of the cross and in His Son. God shows His glory. He shows His love that He would die for sinners. He shows His humility that He would humble Himself below people like me, like us, and bear our sins and suffer for them. God shows His wisdom and His justice, punishing sin and His holy goodness. He must weaving this wonderful story. God shows His vindicating power in the resurrection and the guarantee of finishing the whole plan. The glory of God is at stake in our proclamation. Also, our proclamation is the means by which others hear and are rescued. The very people who persecute us are only going to be rescued through our proclamation. And so if we allow them to silence us, we are allowing them to take away from themselves the most important thing they need for their life. Because they need to be forgiven. They need to be reconciled to God. If they, were, if they are to not face the just wrath of God for their sins, 
and be eternally separated from Him, no worse fate. They must hear the proclamation of God. So we must not let persecution silence us. That's the objective of persecution, is to silence us. We must recognize that and refuse to come under it. This past week, as we had this uh, team here from Pennsylvania, we had a wonderful time together. We had our vacation Bible school. We had different outreaches, a prayer outreach. One thing we did is we went to Hampton Beach, and we went to Hampton Beach just to relate to people. We had a a survey just to ask them some questions to to get them talking about some spiritual things, very low-key. But in in doing that, we we, uh, would ask them at the end of the survey, would it be okay if I shared something that talked some more about this? And and uh, so they could hear about Christ. We have some of those tracks, those little pamphlets. Uh, How good are you? And it was such a good time. Um, and and, And I don't know about you, if you've ever done anything like that, and it doesn't have to be a situation like that where you're going kind of cold turkey to strangers, but those things petrify me. And I've done it a lot. And I think they petrify This, built, this building was built before microphones, so we don't need to use microphones necessarily. Um, we ended up having a great time sharing Christ, meeting lots of different people, and just being to share a little bit about the goodness of God. And you know what it did? It not only blessed the folks and sowing seeds into their lives, and Lord willing, we trust that's part of the process of them hearing about Jesus and perhaps one day coming to the place of, of faith and new life in Christ. It did something for them, but it did something for me. It made me realize how ridiculous I'm being. I'm afraid to talk to my nice neighbor. And when I went to these total strangers and nothing happened, what's going on? What, what has happened to me that I've allowed fear to define my sharing? And I've allowed it to silence me. And in a sense, I think for all the team, there were about 30 of us who went. We all came back thinking, if I can do this here, if God is big enough to meet me at Hampton Beach with all these people I have no knowledge of, then He's going to be with me in all those other situations that are a lot easier. He's going to be with me. We must continue to proclaim Christ. We must continue to preach and share Him in our lives and how we live and what we say to, to proclaim Christ and not allow persecution to silence us. That's what it would want to do. God wants us to proclaim. And God calls us, all of us, with the apostles, to go back out and share all these words of life. The words of life for His glory, for our good, and the good of those who hear. If the band could come up as we close.
So let us, let us recognize that persecution happens. We must expect it. Persecution happens, but we have a greater God. We must trust Him. Persecution happens, but God's glory and our good are promoted through it. So we must rejoice in it. Persecution happens, but the glory of God and the good of those we share with is at stake. So we must not be hindered in our proclamation of the gospel. We must expect it. We must trust God in persecution. We must rejoice in it. We must proclaim Christ in it. Let's pray. Go before the Lord. Lord, we thank You for Acts chapter 5. Thank You for this picture. And Lord, we in our, ourselves are not able to emulate this picture in the least degree, but by Your Holy Spirit, by Your grace, according to Your Word, Lord, we can, we can walk in these things. And we ask You to help us as a church, as Your people, Lord, to recognize persecution, to expect it, to see that it's part of this world as it is now, to trust You in it, to entrust ourselves to You, to even rejoice in it, and to not be silenced by it, but to continue to proclaim You. For Your glory, for our good, and the good of those who hear, we pray You would teach us these things. Amen. Amen. As the band just plays a little bit, I encourage you right now, perhaps with your notes, just to write down something, something that you feel like the Lord is calling you to believe, to walk in. Uh, On the green cards as well, there are some things on the back of those green cards uh, just to respond to the Lord, if if appropriate. And again, if you could just hand those to Peggy on your way out. Let's just take a minute or so to reflect before the Lord, then we'll conclude in song. Thank you.